evening, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to the Mahoning Drive-In Theater, the largest single-screen drive-in in the United States. We're certainly glad you could be with us this evening. And don't forget the concession stand is open with all kinds of great things to eat and drink. Mahoning Drive-In Radio, your old friend Virgil back once again for another exciting episode of the podcast here. The only podcast that's focused on the revival of our beloved drive-in culture. And uh, as always, I'm joined by my co-host and general manager extraordinaire, Mark. Say hello. Hi there. And we have a very special, long overdue guest in Al Minnelli, director of at the drive-in and marionette land. Say hello, Al. Hello, and thank you for the free plug, Virgil. I appreciate it. Hey, plug city, plug, plug, plug. I gotta get those royalty payments, you know? (laughs) Well, for those that do not know, Al is more than a part of the family. He has really given us the gift that keeps on giving in the at the drive-in documentary, which at this point is internationally known and we hear about it constantly as far as the love of this film for this film what it represents and al is the director the sole cameraman on this project pretty much the guy who made this movie happen and it's not an understatement when i say i'm gonna be talking about this movie until the day that i die it's given us such a boost and notoriety with getting the word out there of what the Mahoning Drive-In Theater is and really has given us such a gift. I, I really don't know how to say it besides. I appreciate it and, and, and thank you. I'm curious because, so this film is, is, it's really an origin story of you guys and how this version of the Mahoning Drive-In exists today. Yes. But I'm curious, I, I'm curious, like maybe someone who came to the Mahoning last year for the very first time and saw, you know, like a giant whale, like pooping <laughs> on this like big set. And like all of the elaborate sets that James and his team put together now. And just, just the way you guys have upped the game and bringing all of these guests, these celebrity guests. I'm curious how someone who has that experience then goes and watches the documentary. <laughs> what you were doing was so crude then compared to now. I could only imagine it as someone who like grew up watching like the current Star Wars movies and then with all the lightsaber fights and all the exciting things. And then they go and watch A New Hope and they're like, what the fuck is this? <laughs> like, <laughs> what just happened? <laughs> yeah. Like, this is so different. It, it you know, it, every, it's quiet. It's like, you know, so I, I'm curious about people who go there now for the first time and then watch the documentary because in the documentary, like a DeLorean showing up randomly on Back to the Future weekend was like, you know, it, it, we felt like the documentary gods had given us a gift. Absolutely. And now if you went to the Mahoning for Back to the Future weekend, you could sit in a screen used DeLorean, <laughs> you know. And, That's what I mean about it, it giving us, it kind of birthed what we are, you know, like it, it gave us enough steam and attention to be able to lean into kind of the events that we wanted to do and dreamed of doing, you know? Yeah. And not only that, but it it gave us the attention to be able to get the guests. We would never be able to have, you know, gotten the guests without them knowing of the legend of the Mahoning drive-in theater, which was really born in, in that year that you caught us on, on film. It's incredible how the stars lined up, not only just for the making of the movie, but kind of the aftermath of it all, where it's, you could never plan, and I'm sure you know this, you can never plan on the success of a film or how it's going to be received or what it's going to be looked at as. You can only dream it, you know? And to see it become something that I can only describe as a magic carpet, you know, it's out there in the world and just sweeps up people as it goes along, you know? Yeah. It's, it's bizarre. It's, it's magic, (laughs) man. It's so magical, you know, it's definitely bizarre. And seeing that Colin Hanks watched it twice. (laughs) (laughs) Tickles me to no end. Yeah. I could just say that for the rest of my life. Well, did Colin Hanks watch your movie twice? Uh, (laughs) I don't think so. He's a fan. 
<laughs> yeah, it's it's nuts. And you know, really the heart that that you captured is is the heart that we try to to live up to and display every single weekend at the Mahoning and and it's a beautiful thing, but why don't we talk a little bit about drive-ins in your past? We were kind of talking about being in the position you are, the director of At The Drive-In. Naturally, you were you, you must have been at drive-ins constantly, right? Well, that's what, I mean, again, everyone, after a screening of At The Drive-In, someone would always come up and, you know, want to know all the drive-ins I'd been to. And I mean, honestly, growing up, we had a drive-in in my hometown, the Circle Drive-In. I went to it, you know, a fair amount of times with my family, but I can't remember any of the movies I saw there. The only thing I remember is on the back of the screen, there's a big ladder. And I think there might be one on the Mahoning screen as well. I think it was a pretty common thing for drive-in screens to have kind of a ladder yeah, attached to them. And during intermission, all of the little kids would kind of run around and go up to the screen. And I remember everyone was kind of daring each other to climb up the ladder. <laughs> and I just, I just started going. Like I just started climbing. And it, people were like, this kid's doing it. He's doing it. <laughs> and I mean, I chickened out after about six feet. But <laughs> I, I, just, I just remember that experience. Wow. And I guess that goes to something in the documentary with just that sort of feeling of being a child, being free, being, you know, having these memories at a drive-in, although that's a specific and small memory that I feel like is a sort of microcosm of, you know, childhood, right. you know, like where were our parents? They were out in cars. They weren't even watching us. Like I could have climbed to the top of, uh, you know, this giant drive-in screen. Yeah. No one was watching. <laughs> and, and I feel like that is, you know, part of, and you talked about it in the film, Virgil, you know, that those simpler times. And yeah. I think that memory reminds me of and, and influences my work in a way because I always try to tell stories like that. And at the drive-in is certainly. And metaphorically, you're, you're reaching for that ladder. You're looking to take that that risk yeah exactly no <laughs> am i, I mean, reading am i reading to <laughs> it's cheesy but it, it, it is you know you think of those weird memories from your childhood when you're just like why am i thinking about this while i'm trying to go to bed in my 30s you know yeah. like why is this random memory popping into my head and that is really the only memory i have as a kid going to the drive yeah but i would go it's strange apple pie moments, you know, like I think of movies that do it really well, like the Sandlot or something like that. And you, you think like, oh, that was my childhood. And you, you think back and you're like, yeah, not really, you know, but there were those moments that you can remember back. You're like, wait, I did play kick the can and, and you know, like had those kind of simple memories and you'd, you'd dish back to it. But the drive in, if you had that experience, you know, it's one that embeds really hard, you know? Yeah. But your experience with drive-ins growing up, do you remember, you know, any films that you saw at drive-ins? I mean, obviously, like you said, you have the memories of the drive-in that connect you to your childhood. The only film I remember seeing, and it's because I was a lot older, I was driving around with my now wife, then girlfriend, and <laughs> we saw, I could see from the street, the circle drive-in, I could see the screen and it was Pirates of the Caribbean 2, Dead Man's <laughs> Chest. And it was like midway through the movie. So I, I went in through the exit and at the circle, it's like, they can't. So you can just turn your lights off, you know. Sorry, circle drive-in. I'll, <laughs> gave, gave I'll, I'll pay you five bucks that are that, that that's like 15 years overdue. But... <laughs> Yeah, we just kind of went up and parked and, and watched the movie. And, and it was the only experience of seeing a movie that I can remember at a drive and we That's sneaking crazy. in with my now wife. And it was crazy. Pirates of the Caribbean too. So, wow. yeah. yeah. You, you would, you would think that, you know, especially because how beautifully you were able to capture that, you know, and make it feel like we're telling a modern day story of a certain drive-in, but it's so... It's so nostalgic and and kind of uh, uh, dipped into uh, 
uh, what it represents and the past of it represents, you know, so you would think you would have. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> no, I know. And, and I, yeah, I think it's more, I, I love movies, but it's also my style, the way I like to tell stories, what I gravitate towards, you know, you mentioned Sandlot right. and I feel like that's such a perfect, you know, narrative counterpart to at the drive-in because at the drive-in is basically like one summer in your guys' lives. Yeah. And it was like this perfect moment of these sort of ragtag guys coming together <laughs> and, you know, pulling it off. Yeah. And like you said, you'll always be thinking about it. And I think you would feel that way even if it sucked. Like even if it was the worst movie, I think because this captures you guys at an early stage in creating this thing, and it, I mean, and I've, I've said this a million times, it's an origin story. It's like a superhero origin story. You know, it's, it's, it's very much how it all started. You know, it's not the big bells and whistles with Joe Bob coming and all that. It's the right. simple, quiet. Two cars. Will, will yeah, we get two anybody? cars. Yeah. James struggling to get into his, you know, Jason Voorhees costume. Like it's, it's those little things. And hopefully that remains a, a nice memory for you guys. Well, I've yeah, said that I'm, for a while now is that I'm, I, I, I want to say I'm too close to it to, to accurately independently judge the quality of the film. Although, I mean, come on, it's, it's a great friggin' movie and it's beautifully shot. But aside from that, I always tell people, you know, if nothing else, it is a beautifully shot record of a summer I had with my best friends. Yeah. yeah. And it'll always be that. I love movies that are either one day or one summer, you know, I, I, I like those, those kinds of movies. So, um, yeah. I feel like this kind of fits in that category a little. What inspired you? You know, we're around the same age. We very much are like-minded, have the same likes, but what inspired you to really take that leap of leaps and say, I want to make a movie and not only that, but I'm not going to rely on anybody else. I'm going to do it <laughs> solely on my back. The fact that you were the guy, you were the <laughs> only guy there. There wasn't like, Hey, you got the whole crew here today. It was like, if we're doing an interview, it's out, you know? So <laughs> how and why, and what gave you the belly strength to get out there and be like, I'm going to do this. Well, I turned 30 and I had a whole sort of oeuvre of short films and I had not made a feature and yeah. I turned 30 in or, sorry, November of 2015 and I said, you know what, all of my favorite directors had made a feature by the time they were 30. So I have to do something totally. and, it, and it, it started just out of that desperation of, well, if I sit here, and, you know, it, it was really the sort of Kevin Smith way of thinking where just go out and do it. And if I had sat back and said, well, I got to write a script and then I got to find money and then I got to find a cast and a crew and all that, it would have just taken forever. And I said, what can I do where I can just jump in? And, you know, I had been making, again, these short documentaries where I shoot them, edit them, direct them, and I would kind of turn them out pretty regularly for work and for my own career. Right. And I said, well, let's see, can I do that as a feature and sustain it for 90-ish minutes? And I kind of just looked around for a subject. And again, because of that desperation of turning 30 and feeling like I was ancient and old. <laughs> and your heroes were chasing you down. Yeah. I, I know that feeling. That's a weird feeling that it drove me into depression at times. I remember, yeah. you know, where it's like, this person had an Oscar. This person was, you know, out there established, you know, it eats away yeah. at you as a creative person, that competitive nature almost, you know? Yeah. And, and it really just, you know, I, I, I was determined. And back then I felt like you had that vinegar and, and it, it's funny because I felt a very symbiotic relationship with you guys in terms of what I was capturing. I felt like, again, we were this team of people who are just all at the same stage, even though some of us were a little older, some of us were a little younger. It just felt like we were all 
We had all met at the right time. All taking a risk together. Yeah, because again, and the risk you guys were making, you guys were, you know, running a drive-in and trying this sort of new way of doing it. And I was making a feature film and we were all doing that kind of together. And, and things kind of bled into each other in a yeah. way where, especially after the fact, like I would, I remember, you know, saying, hey, what about this for a double feature? Or, you know, you guys would do a great job of like helping promote the documentary. So it, it really just, we really just kind of came together Anyone, in a yeah. way. So I don't feel like I just made this by myself. I do feel like I had you guys as sounding boards because even still mark you wouldn't have been in the documentary if it wasn't for everyone else i didn't know who you were i was content with jeff virgil and matt and i kept getting told but you've got to talk to mark you've got to talk to mark. <laughs> and i was like okay well who's this mark guy and i finally met you and talked to you and learned about you that your story traveling, you know, we all know your story. And I'm sure people ask you, and I'm so sorry. Every Mark. week. <laughs> Almost every week. So are, are you that guy who drives down from New Hampshire? Do you still drive six and a half hours? Yeah. So I'm very sorry. <laughs> no, it, it, what was wild was, you know, with the year or so after the film came out, people would be coming up to me and greeting me by name who I'd never met before. And immediately oh, yeah. you flash back on, is this a all regular that I don't recognize? Am I a bad person? It's like, no, they watched the documentary. When they watch the movie, they feel like they know you immediately because it's so ultra personal, you know, yeah. it opens up the heart in such a big way. And I love that. It lends to what we do. We say every night, we are a family. You are part of this family. And, and when people come and kind of feel like they know you in a familial sense because they know your life, your, your passions, your goals, it's, it's incredible. You know, like I said, it feeds what we do i think it was because I, I i wanted it to feel raw i wanted it to almost feel like a home movie in a way yeah but i also wanted it to look like a terrence malick film too at the same time so it has that kind of dual nature going yeah. for it the beauty and the ruggedness i i was very specific on not wanting it to feel like so there's a ton of documentary like the documentary boom of this last decade is insane yeah and a big genre is these kind of fan documentaries i like them but it's not what i wanted to make you know i didn't want to make aren't all these fans of this one subculture really crazy look this guy's got his whole house decorated like this yeah and i didn't want to make that i again i like those documentaries i've seen probably every single like fan subculture <laughs> documentary that exists but i knew i had to do it differently for it to stand out at all so i'm sure there's probably people who watch it and go you know this isn't what i was expecting and that's fine but i think what it is again is this sort of really intimate kind of home movie where we kind of just hang out for a summer Thinking back on it and rewatching it, it's it really is some of the greatest times of our life. Like thinking about how we run the theater now, how big of an operation it is, what we take on on a regular basis, and to look back on on that time when it was it was truly go for the gusto and take the risks and as much pressure as there was to keep the business afloat, it was such a pleasure, you know. And you capturing that again, it's it's an amazing thing. But let's talk about where we've gotten with the Mahoning Drive-In Theater and what you see us kind of becoming. The events that we put on have become much bigger than, you know, the time that you caught. Yeah, I'm trying to think what the biggest event I caught was. I mean, I'm guessing it was Zombie Fest or Camp Blood. I mean, I feel like those were... Back then, your two big events of the year. Now, you know, every other weekend is a Camp Blood or a, a Zombie Fest type deal. Yeah. And I do follow along. I see all the photos and, and it's exciting. I think of everything I've seen, a Joe Bob coming, you know, uh, yeah. a Bruce Campbell, like all these amazing things. You know, Troma's having their big events there. Yeah. My favorite thing, Edward, just warms my heart more than anything to see is Robert is the assistant projectionist. 
Like, yes. Can I, can I just, can I, like, what? <laughs> I, I would never, ever would have seen that coming. And it's, I'm, but it makes total, total sense. sense, right? It, it feels inevitable now to think about that because he was always diligent. Yeah. He was always, you know, very proper in everything he did. And I'm like, yeah, that he has what it takes to be a great projectionist. And, and, and like, it's just so heartwarming to see that, like, I, a part of me is like, I just have to go and like film Robert and like, I just <laughs> want Robert to show. see Robert again. <laughs> You are like everybody who sees the documentary because they always ask, where's Robert? <laughs> and it's like, go and to the projection. It's, he's you know, it's he's running the movie. It's it's so amazing. He's become such an essential piece to what we do, a savior, truly, to what we do. And, you know, you couldn't script how any of, of the Mahoning's legend has played out. But that is storybook, you know, that you captured... Uh, a guy that was so passionate about what we do and his fandom and represents fandom and blah, blah, blah. And now he's the guy who's on the mic and, you know, is is representing the theater on a nightly basis and presenting and holding that, you know, in such a high regard. It's, again, you couldn't script it, but it was so destined and meant to be. <laughs> it's crazy, yeah, right? He, he's also very fun on Twitter and I'm so glad he got that bulb he needed for the projector because... <laughs> I read so many texts or so many uh, tweets about that bulb. Yeah, so. my, my poor guy. He went. He went through such a heartache. <laughs> but that's the thing. He, he holds. He holds it to a very high standard. Yeah. He's not the guy who is going to let anything slide or do anything half-assed. And and he looks at what he does as as truly a gift, as we all do, you know. And in a crazy way, it's there's no better person to be rocking with us you know right along with us yeah i loved the podcast episode with him uh and i think anyone who is thinking about going to the mahoning i mean if you just hear how serious he takes it and how much effort and time he puts into running the films and running them properly making sure everything is right yep. and and perfect so it's the best possible viewing experience i mean that alone should make you want to go. And then you can go in and talk to him and ask him questions. And and Jeff, same way. I mean, even in the documentary, you see Jeff kind of mentioning those really small details about loops and the audio. Again, I don't know if the average person who goes to the movies realizes what it takes to put on a movie and even thinks, well, the person running this movie, they must be Know, very attention to detail they probably don't even think about it you don't and that's that's the beauty is you know the idea of i get a front row seat being on the mic or wherever to magicians you know like when we were kids you don't think about that at all at all it's just hey we're going to the movies it's gonna be there but the idea of somebody working the film and somebody being the guy that's there there's no place like the Mahoning that kind of has a projectionist looked at in such a high regard. It's an art form that, you know, like we said in the documentary, it's it's lost and saved right here on our on our property. And it's it's a beautiful thing when people come in and all they want to do is is watch. <laughs> just I'm a fly on the wall. I promise I won't I won't get in anybody's way. Can I please just watch? <laughs> it's yeah. it's glorious. And well, Robert, Robert found his calling for sure, oh, so I'm, God, I'm very yeah. happy. Yeah, it's exciting. But as far as the double features that we do, things like that, you you gifted us and really uh, motivated us when you were making the documentary to go after some of the double features we did, namely Kevin Smith Fest. If you could program a night, a weekend, whatever, at the Mahoney, what, what's your ideal double? which we like to ask every guest that we have on. So I have a couple, a couple of things. And these are things that in the past, I've probably obnoxiously mentioned several times. <laughs> I, feel like, I, I feel like one that I really liked that I pitched to you guys once was Party Like It's 1999 weekend. Yes. Which this was back in 2019. So it would have been like 20 years later and it had like a new year's kind of theme because i feel like 1999 was such a crucial 
and good year for movies, yeah. you know, like there's Fight Club, there's, you know, The Matrix, Sixth Sense, you know, all, oh, yeah. all this stuff. So I always felt like a party, like it's 1999 weekend. The 99 theme, I mean, definitely. I mean, we, we talk about trying to connect the dots with those anniversary screenings. A lot of times it happens by accident where it's like, oh, crap. You know, we didn't realize it was the 70th anniversary of, you know, whatever. You well, know, that, but. that happened last season. We ran Halloween 2 on the exact night yes. of its 40th anniversary. And we didn't and it was know like, until a few days beforehand. What a stroke of booking genius. <laughs> <laughs> Why, thank you. <laughs> I would love to see somehow uh, a Twilight Zone weekend. Oh, I'm a huge God. Twilight Zone fan. And I there would love to see- There are 35 millimeter prints of those that are, have been shown in theaters. Ah. They do exist. Well, I know it was shot on film, the original yep. the original series. Uh, you wouldn't know that if you watched the sci-fi channel uh, and their yeah. marathons where they have it all smoothed out to look like video it's just just nauseating thank <laughs> god thank god i own them already that I works for them. exactly two episodes of that show and you know which two they are yeah. <laughs> and then oh and if you do a twilight zone weekend i would love either if it's jeff or if it's robert to do like the pre-show announcements as rod sterling you know, oh, yes. I mean, there's just so much theming gold yes. that you could do with a Twilight Zone weekend. That would crush. Perfect cross with our fandom without a doubt. And then, I, you know, I've pitched this a million times, but my M. Night Shyamalan weekend, I, I am a Best. M. Night Shyamalan apologist. I know a lot of people like to rag on him, but <laughs> I feel like he is a first... god to you. He, he really is an inspiration. I Yes, because I hit him at the right. I mean, everyone has that. You know, I, I feel like every director has that director that hits them at the right time. And for Tarantino, he always would talk about Brian De Palma and, you know, when he was coming of age and De Palma was like his inspiration at first. Yeah. For me, it was M. Night Shyamalan. When I was in ninth grade and sort of starting, like, I kind of want to make movies and do this and that. It was seeing Unbreakable that where I was like, okay, yep, that's what I want to do. That's, I love this movie. And, you know, I was 14 years old when I saw Unbreakable. Yeah. So uh, a Shyamalan weekend would be amazing. I don't know if you do it, his early movies on the first night and then his later movies on the second night, but some kind of... I know where you stand with M. Night, you know, and it's something that we have talked about. It's crazy because around the time you made the documentary, we had the opportunity to do it. But then the Buena Vista, Fox, Madness, all kind of got turned around. And now we actually have the opportunity to do it. The, the question would be, what do we hook as far as the Mahoning hook with the title of that event? And I pitched it to the guys this year. I said, if we were to do it on a standalone night, like a single double feature, on a Friday or a Saturday, my pitch is M night night. <laughs> <laughs> it's night night. It's night night time. <laughs> and I, I mean, look, for anyone listening, M night Shyamalan lives about an hour away from the Mahoning. It's a, it's a no brainer, right? And I, I didn't realize this. He is on the board for the Philadelphia film festival, which is where at the drive-in yes. premiered, and one best local feature that's, in 2017. That's so there has to be someone, somewhere, somehow, some way to alert. Yeah, there has to be something to get Shyamalan either there. Somebody or send up the night signal. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then obviously Star Wars weekend, which I know is Disney won't let it happen, but. Everybody even, wants that Star Wars weekend. Even the prequels, I feel like, would do insane. It's nostalgia, you know? Like, yeah, it's a fandom that... That's the thing that we talk about on the podcast all the time. We've gone beyond film fandom and have just tapped into fandom. So if there's fandom for something, you know, it it's something that can be celebrated at the Mahoning with an event. And Star Wars, when you talk about fandom, it's like... Hello, it's number one. So we would love to do a celebration. And 
it's amazing because as we grow, we're seeing more opportunities arise where what would be amazing is doing installments, you know, to have, hey, we're releasing the new Boba Fett show and we're going to do, you know, an installment where we show, you know, two episodes at the drive-in and take it over in a, a very uh, cantina type of way. It would be amazing. And that's really the only hope we have for some of these things that are like, unlicensable, ungettable. It's like if we can work some sort of an angle to say, hey, let's do a, a mutual celebration and a mutual promotion together, it would be amazing. Yeah, I, I mean, that would be the biggest weekend ever, I feel like. Oh, without a doubt. Uh, one last one, uh, a Wes Anderson weekend. Oh my like. gosh, steal my heart. Yeah. His movies, he shoots them on film, so there's gotta be film prints. 100%. And I feel like if you did that in October, where people would dress up and like make it like a, <laughs> you know, like a costume weekend. I mean, his whole oeuvre is just it's people in kind of bizarre outfits. So oh, that, that was just awesome. a- It'd be a run know. at the local thrift shops. <laughs> <laughs> Out of tweed. Yes. <laughs> this is all a lead up, but before we get into uh, your most recent project with Marionette Land, What's your perspective with the release and how it was received to the documentary at the drive-in with your experience of it all? You know, I, I was, I'm happy. I mean, as any creative person, you always want more and hope for more, but I, it, there were so many like magical moments with the film yeah. and even still now, like seeing it pop up randomly in articles or people on Letterboxd reviewing it. I love when Amazon Prime tells me it's a movie that I might like. (laughs) (laughs) And there you are on the cover. (laughs) Mark, you are the face of Athens Drive-In on Amazon Prime. That is so bizarre when I realized (laughs) that. I popped it on, I'm like, oh, what does the synopsis look like? I'm like, oh, it's that guy. (laughs) But yeah, it uh, it knows my taste and it keeps saying, this is a movie you might like. (laughs) Give it a shot one day. I've tried not to watch it recently i mean i watched it so much while making it and we were showing it at film festivals lived it and i've tried to like certainly not move on from it it's not it it would never be like that but i was trying to like say okay like i want to come back to this sunday with like fresh eyes yeah because you get so close to it and i yeah I, i haven't watched it recently but i know at some point i will yeah and I was looking through my phone today and I, a lot of times, whatever, let's say, you know, today's January 12th, well, I'll go into my photo app and I'll type in January 12th to see where I was or what I was doing on this day. Cause I have all of my photos I've ever taken on my phone. And I kind of put in January 12th this morning and lo and behold, Three years ago today, we were recording the audio commentary tracks Holy for the documentary, for the DVD. Crazy. And we, I remember we- In that cold, cold projection booth. Yeah. <laughs> well, it'll be warm, we promise. <laughs> but, but like, it was such a fun time. Like every, that was the one day where everyone could pretty much make it. Yeah. Jeff put a heater in the projection booth. And we basically had to split it up into two, like six person teams to record two separate tracks because there were so many people. And I was just like, wow, like that was a fun time. And like, that's what this documentary is for me, the way I hope it is for you guys, where it's just like a time of your life that's over. You know, it's like when you look back at high school or if you lived somewhere else and you moved, It is a chapter of your life. And this film, like you said, Virgil, this film will always be a part of my life and has nothing to do with what anyone else says or writes about it. It's simply just because meeting you guys at the time that I did, all thanks to James, because if if I don't mention James, he'll get upset. (laughs) Gotta mention James. He introduced me to you guys and to the Mahoney and really set everything in motion. And for me, it is really that type of thing. And I see, and again, I've made a post about this once on Facebook where a lot of people who would write reviews about it on Letterboxd or even on Twitter, a lot of them were like, this is the eighth time I watched this movie. Like I just put it on in the background now. Yeah. And it has that like 
I don't I, I don't know why. I honestly don't know what it is that makes it like that. It feels lived in. It's inspirational. You know, I think that's what it is. But I've had that with movies. And I, I when I was in, I think when I was like 19-ish, it was Clerks. I would just put Clerks on and do stuff. Like I wasn't even watching the movie. It was just music in the background. Yeah. And to know that someone else, like not just one person, but I forget in the post, there was like a dozen people who said this. And I'm like, what did I do? <laughs> what was it? And again, I think, yeah, it just, it's a hangout movie at the end of the day. You know, it's not once upon a time in Hollywood, but I feel like it is a hangout movie. And that's what it'll always be to me. It's once upon out a with time you. in Lehigh. Yeah. <laughs> You captured the time of our lives and we owe so much to you because of it. But the thing I love most about it is it's so discoverable. When you stumble upon it, it's something you feel like is yours, you know, that like the Mahoning in its early days, it's something that you're like, these are my people, this is my thing, you know? And when that crosses over to them actually starting to come to the theater and, and becoming fans and regulars, it's the craziest thing. And it's really weird when it's somebody that's local. They're like, oh, I caught this on Amazon Prime and I live five miles down the road. <laughs> Had no idea you guys were still doing this thing. It's that that gift of discovery, I think, again, that's the reason I'm going to be talking about this forever because people will be discovering it forever. And that's a gift that I'm sure any filmmaker could only hope for. Let's get into Marionette Land. How and when did this all come in terms as far as timeline from At The Drive-In and its release? So I started shooting Marionette Land in 2019, summer. And At The Drive-In had just come out on Amazon and everything in April. So not too much longer. Crazy, yeah. Jumped right in. Yeah, and you guys know Amanda, my wife. Mm -hmm. She was pregnant and I didn't want to... I felt, so the first time I felt this rush of like, all right, I'm 30. I have to make my first feature film. This time it was kind of like, I'm about to be a dad. And (laughs) I, it was like a race against the clock. I wanted to get one more in before becoming a dad because I wanted to be a dad. And we tried for so long. My wife and I actually did IVF. And IVF, for anyone not listening, is basically you know, a long, expensive, laborious, sad, demoralizing process that may or may not lead to a child. So you basically, you take medication. And Virgil, you actually helped me out because I want to give you a shout out for this. And my wife and I are very open about talking about this, but... Which I love. We went to the 2019 season opener in April. And we were in the middle of doing IVF. And basically I had to give my wife shots. You give their their hormone shots that make her grow more follicles and all that. That's basically the beginning of the IVF stage. Right. And you basically let us use uh, a, a sort of private area to, to do this because we couldn't do it in my car. We obviously couldn't do it outside. <laughs> um, so you you helped us out and I appreciate that. Oh my goodness. You aided in the birth of my dog. <laughs> I'm I'm honored. And honestly, when you guys broached the subject, I I'm sure you could see it. I was just so so happy for you guys and excited for you, even though I knew you guys were were going through the challenge of making it happen. But just like my decision to kind of be public and open in the documentary with what I had gone through with Nance is I love the fact that you were very open about it and and very public about the idea of like, this is out there and this is something that we really worked for. And to see your family now, it's it's beautiful. Thank you. And we've done IVF a second time. And if anyone listening, I know this is a drive-in podcast. (laughs) If anyone listening, I mean, hey, it hits everybody. And I've, I've, every time we post about it on Facebook, I get private messages asking, you know, What was your protocol? Who was your doctor? Uh-huh, How long yeah. did it take? So please feel free to reach out to me if you have any questions about it, because it could feel like a very lonely time. Yeah. But on a happier note, Virgil, you were the only one. Whenever we would tell someone we were in the process of doing this, yeah. everyone would always be like, 
Oh, I'm so, oh. Virgil, you lit up like we had told you, like, we just won a million dollars and we're going to Disneyland. But it was nice. It was nice to see that because you made us feel normal in a way. Honestly, it's that faith that I had, you know, like because I had gone through my own issues with pregnancy and things like that. There is something that I kind of felt that when you guys said, hey, we're trying, we're pushing. I had this feeling of like this again, destined. It's kind of meant to be. These two are not only meant to be together, they're meant to fight for this and and make this work. And and you know me, I'm king positive. So <laughs> <laughs> anything I can do to put a smile on a face. So your question was marionette land. How did we start shooting? And we got into that. So that's yes, but I get it. So that that was the fuel, just like the turning 30. It was hey, I'm, I'm going to be a dad and yes. I want to get a project out there before daddom takes over. <laughs> right, because I, I want it again. I really wanted to be a dad. I wanted to be there yeah. at, for everything. And while Amanda was pregnant, I didn't want to be driving around because again, for at the drive-in, I had to drive 90 minutes to yeah. the Mahoning and I would be gone for you know i would go most weekends not every weekend but most and i didn't want to leave amanda pregnant so it was kind of like well what can i do that's local and i'd always had this story in my back pocket because i made a short documentary about him uh, his name's robert brock and he was the proprietor or the founder and artistic director of the lancaster marionette theater and yes, Lancaster had a tiny marionette theater in its downtown. And I'd become friends with him. And I always knew there was more to his story. And I said, all right, now's the time. I live five minutes from him. Let me kind of noodle around and see what he's doing. So I asked him, what are you working on these days? And this was summer of 2019. And he said, well, I'm thinking about bringing back my grown-up show for the first time in years. And for anyone listening who's not familiar with his grown-up show, he basically dresses up as and performs as Judy Garland, Liza Minnelli, Carol Channing, Bette Midler, you know, all these like famous female stars of the past. And he performs with marionettes dressed up as, so it's, it's like this really awesome show. Yeah. So I was like, okay, there's, there's some kind of dramatic struggle. You know, he's in his 60s. Can he bring this show back? And that's how it started. And I was just always fascinated with him the same way I was fascinated with you guys because he lives above his puppet theater. So it's basically in his house. Yeah. And he has been doing this for 30 years. He started in 1990. And just the fact that this guy, this is his only job, you know, this is all he did was run this little marionette theater. And that passion is what I just absolutely responded to. And it's what I responded to. Like I saw myself in you guys. And that's, again, part of what goes into choosing subjects to document is I don't think it's arrogant, but I want to reveal part of myself as well. And I want to see something that I am interested in or that I, that I identify with. Yeah and the passion that you both had but it was different it was for different reasons and a lot of people say and i think this can apply to you guys too at the mahoney a lot of people are like man if i was only good at basketball i could be a basketball player or if i was only good at the guitar i could be a famous guitarist or, man man if i only had a good singing voice and what I've discovered is it's more than talent. Even if you have a good singing voice, even if you have, look, everyone has probably had a million dollar idea at some point in their lives, but most people don't have that million dollars. And the reason is, is because it takes something extra. I don't know what it is. It's some kind or a lack of something probably <laughs> to put yourself out there and say, these are my ideas and let them be judged by everyone else. Yeah. And I would tell Rob this too about the documentary and 
when you put something out there, you have to be ready for people to be like, well, this is stupid. Or why is he doing that? Or, you know, and I know Kevin Smith talks about this a lot too. And it's, it's that turning off that filter or that worry that you make something and you post it or you put it out there that the next time you see someone, they're going to remember that. And they're going to be like, well, that's the guy who's trying to be a singer or that's the girl who's trying to start a, a bakery business or something. Mm-hmm. And I think what I loved about you guys and about Robert Brock is you realized it wasn't just the idea. It's, it's that presentation. It's the, it's the taking of the first step. It's the showing up. It's the doing it. Right. Because if you awesome. just start doing it, even if your idea sucks or you don't know what you're doing or you're bad at guitar, eventually the snowball will grow. Yeah. And you just have to start it. And so many people don't start it because they're just afraid to. And they're, or they're like, well, I, I can't do that. And I think what this documentary has taught me and what I learned from you guys and what I love about you guys is that you can. You just have to start it and something will happen and work out somehow. And, so. and you're a model of that as well. As somebody who jumped feet first into a project that now is, is forever a, a calling card. On, on both fronts, you know, yeah, that's, that's a beautiful thing. Now, as far as your connection with Robert, did you know him before approaching him about the idea of the documentary or? I did. So I, again, I, I met him in 2014 and we did a short documentary called Man with Puppet. That was just like a nine minute thing we put on YouTube, just kind of for fun. And that was what made me think there's more to this guy. I didn't go really very deep into him living with his mom above the theater, you know, his whole history with depression and suicide and all that kind of stuff. So we decided, and I told him, look, if we're going to make a feature, we have to go into some of your your depression, the suicidal attempt or thoughts that you had, the fact that he's gay, his relationship status, like all that has to be on the table, but not in like a salacious way. And that's not how I am. I'm not a gotcha filmmaker i'm not trying to expose anything or i just wanted it to all be on the table because wherever the camera like that it it, the way i work is you know whatever sort of piques my interest is where i go and i just wanted to know that i didn't have those boundaries with him and he said yes yeah so we go into a lot of things um but ultimately it's (laughs) It's just about this guy who has devoted his life to something and then a pandemic comes. So, <laughs> yeah. I think it has amazing crossover with at the drive-in in that it's a dreamer story. You know, it's somebody who doesn't give up on dreams and all that stuff. And I think that in a way there's, there's a crossover there. Yeah. And I, I make the joke, you know, I went from a, a drive-in theater to a puppet theater so let us not forget the documentary about the video store so it's you're focusing on thriving businesses that's right that's right and that that is on letterboxd as well the video store millionaire documentary that i I love video stores so that was to be able to go back into one and, and essentially talk and theoretically talk to somebody who owns a video store through that short was pretty great yeah thank you yeah if you ever want to watch the sad slow death of a video store um check it out now <laughs> check out video store millionaire on youtube there's a proprietor of a high establishment that i might want to send you to next yeah oh please yeah let me know i'm always looking for just you know obscure businesses or places to go not necessarily as a filmmaker but just yeah. as, a, as a patron as a patron general, yeah you know how do you feel well, about candle pin bowling <laughs> mark i'm not shitting you i was actually looking up bowling alleys at one point <laughs> thinking do i want to just go do a bowling alley like <laughs> but like a really a really old one that never updated. oh yeah I, i'm not i i i could not do one about you go to them now and they're just so you know it's like dave and busters like i, I can't <laughs> there, there's no charm in that there are a number of uh, bowling alleys that are frozen in time a couple of which i've visited in the last few years accidentally and it is yeah. an amazing vibe 
that you know that is the same orange plastic seat that you know your grandfather might have sat on no please send them my way anything that you go into and your reaction is how the fuck is this still open <laughs> is How's what your guy? <laughs> is, call me because i'm sure i am positive there is a fantastic story there beneath the you know oh isn't this cool that this is here <laughs> i can guarantee you there's someone or something going on there that is really cool i mean under the decades of cigarette smoke residue on the ceiling <laughs> Many yeah. stories lie. Of course, yeah. So when when you shot Marionette Land, uh, it was was it again just you by yourself? Yeah, it really was. I would just kind of text Rob and be like, hey, "What are you doing?" And he would say, "I'm doing this," and I'd be like, "Okay." And I'd come by and film, and we 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 did that for a couple of weeks and then stuff started to emerge, a theme, a trend, a story, so to speak. And then I started saying, okay, well now I want to get this, this, and this, and this. So, and again, that's what happened with you guys. It was just, let's just start yeah. and see where it goes. And then I can start kind of saying, well, I want this. Now I need this. Let's do this. It was a magic trick. I still say like, it's incredible <laughs> to watch the outcome because it just didn't feel, then this is no offense to you. It didn't feel crafted. It felt very much like I'm here, I'm capturing this. And it did lead to that. It led to, hey, this is what I want to talk about. This is what I want to do. More in those personal private interviews, you know? I think that's a big benefit of me doing it by myself. And I'm not preaching that as the method of making documentaries. Will I ever make a documentary with like a team of people? Of course. But I think one benefit is it never felt like high stakes. It never felt nerve wracking. No one ever felt nervous to talk to me. And I think it's just because it was just me and a camera. Yeah. And that's how I approached with Rob. I mean, with Rob, it's probably even more homemade feeling because we really didn't leave his house. I mean, a few times we did, but I would say 80% of the film is in his house. Yeah. And it's just me and him a lot of the time. You know, the people come in and out every now and then, but you really will get to spend time with Rob and see his experience and watch this sort of unique art form of marionettes and his life story and their parallels and then what ultimately happens. It's it's one of those things, like it's like knocking on somebody's door and, and spending that time with them and then kind of sweeping away and taking what you want from it. That's the beauty of hangout movies, I guess, in general is it's something you can touch on, you know what I mean? Get your inspiration from and, and, and roll from and go back to as many times as you want. That's why we talked about that a lot when we first met about that being kind of the the drive and things that we love is like the hangout movie approach it's it's very i love it yeah you feel more like you can put it on at any moment and it's fine yeah especially i, I think at the drive-in is very vignette-y yeah so i think you can literally put it on anywhere and then a, you know a smaller story will begin at some point and then ultimately wrap up the larger story well, you brought up the pandemic and the idea of the pandemic hitting during the making of the movie. But what was it like trying to release a movie during the pandemic? Oh, man. I'm sure it, that must have been a challenge. It was a challenge. And it was it was more sad because we were lucky to be accepted to the Philadelphia Film Festival, just like at the drive-in. This yeah. was our big premiere and it was virtual. I mean, we made the best of it and they were able to tell us how many people were watching and it was over a hundred who was watching our premiere and we had a ton of people in the q a i mean it it was fine it was great and the philadelphia film festival certainly did the best they could and went above and beyond yeah. but it was nothing like those screenings we i mean it was so much fun to go to those screenings for at the drive-in because i mean i'd say like you know, most of them, you know, 80% of them were extremely well attended. So it was always a great time talking with the audience and hearing their reactions during the movie. But with this, I really rarely got that experience. We only had a few in-person screenings and it was not until 
almost mid 2021. So yeah, yeah, it was, it was hard and film festivals were changing and I felt, I felt like it was harder to get the word out. Certainly winning best documentary at the Omaha film festival helped us, but it was harder now that everything was digital. It just felt like there were 10 million more movies. Yeah. I felt like the step of putting your movie on DCP properly and sending it to a festival. And I felt like all that, it was almost like a gatekeeper in a way. And now there were just so many movies. And, you know, even if your movie was selected, it, there were more, every film festival was like, we're selecting more movies. And it was just, <laughs> you know, you're trying to stand out. And when there's, I remember one film festival in particular, they accepted like 200 and some films. It's like, why? <laughs> so, yeah. It was very hard and it was very sad that we never, my original idea was I wanted to rent out the Fulton Opera House in Lancaster City, which is where Rob performed as an actor back in the day and have sort of a 1930s golden age Hollywood premiere, red carpet and stuff like that. Yeah. But was not able to happen. So, but we are very happy that people will get to see the movie now the way they got to see At the Drive-In. I feel like At the Drive-In, the benefit of those film festivals was word of mouth. It got us extra, because we were able to engage with people after the screening, more people would like the Facebook page or seek us out online. Virtually, it's harder. And so we, didn't, we don't have that sort of big built-in audience right now that we did with you guys. So we're hoping that when this comes out on Amazon Prime and iTunes on January 18th, that people will now be able to easily discover it and tweet about it and talk about it. It's not behind some paywall at a film festival. So, yeah. well, that's the beauty. It's it's a discovery piece, you know, and hopefully we'll have that same effect that at the drive-in had with people. Now we're coming up on a crucial date. Your release date's coming up. Am I correct? Yes, January. So there's two release dates now. Thank you, supply chain issues. <laughs> Our DVD was scheduled to come out the same day as digital on January 18th. So January 18th, you can see the film on iTunes, Amazon Prime, a whole bunch of other sites, just like at the drive-in. But the supplies to basically create the DVDs, they've been delayed, the company that produces them for our distributor. And so they've pushed it back a couple of weeks to February 8th. So you can still pre-order a DVD on Amazon or a hundred other websites, but it won't come until February 8th right. now. So I know you're a huge fan of physical media, just like we are. Commentary, any special feature? Yes. So <laughs> <laughs> when we were shopping the film around, I had a producer rep that was kind of shopping the film around to me, for me, to a bunch of distributors and no one would ever want to do a physical like the idea of putting out a dvd of your movie is just like the dumbest thing in the world to all of these distributors and to producers reps right. they're just like what why people don't even have dvd players anymore and i decided to go with mvd who released at the drive-in solely because they would put out a physical copy that I could have a hand in producing. It wouldn't just be some made to order disc, which a lot of companies do where if you buy it on Amazon, they just go and print the movie on a disc. Like what? Here you go. And I decided, well, I'm gonna just go with MVD again. I loved what they did oh, for yeah. the At The Drive-In release. And geez, I don't even remember what the original question was. Uh, just just uh, uh, extra features yes. oh yes 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 so we have a dvd coming out february 8th but you can still pre-order it now on amazon it'll have a commentary track with me and robert brock it'll have 17 minutes of deleted scenes which is really strange because at the drive-in had 17 ish minutes of deleted scenes so i don't know what i don't know why i'm cutting out 17 minutes of stuff but that seems to be my magic number of uh, deleted scenes. And two Q&As will be on there, virtual Q&As, one from the Philadelphia Film Festival and one from the Omaha awesome. Film Festival. 
So you'll get to watch the movie and learn more about it. Plus, you'll get to have a cool DVD. I mean, I don't know. I, I, I couldn't imagine making a movie and not having a physical copy of it, you know? So please get the DVD and also rent it, watch it. Um, it'll be on most of the same places that at the drive-in is. Um, a few different ones as well. And keep an eye out. You know, marionetteland.com will have all the, the deets. links, the deets. Yeah, you can order all your copies there. Well, now that you have it under your belt and it is coming out as a release, I, I, like you said, the experience of touring this film was probably the greatest time of my life. And I'm sure Mark can attest. But the idea of us playing it at the drive-in and when we had the screening at the drive-in, it was so beautiful and so meta. But now maybe we'll have to look at bringing it back with a double feature with Marionette Land. I would love to bring it back, especially because when we showed it, it rained that weekend. That's right. And we, I mean, the turnout was good, but not as good as it probably would have been had it been sunny and 80 degrees or whatever. We'll, we'll look into it. Maybe a nice little anniversary screening or something like that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, well, the five year, well, I, I don't know what to use as the anniversary. So yeah. I'm curious what you guys think. <laughs> We shot it in the 2016 season. It premiered in October of 2017 at film festivals. Yeah. And physically uh, released. It was released in April of 2019. Yeah. So I don't, I That's don't know what the anniversary one. is. The hard one. <laughs> the anniversary year is whatever year is most convenient for when we want to show. Right. So, <laughs> so this year is the five year anniversary of the release uh, right. of the premiere, I guess, of the, at film festivals. So. Well, anything else you want to let the people know as far as means to find and support not just Marionette Land, but the great Al Manelli? I'm on Instagram at Manelli Films. You're great with the, uh, I, t I mean, I take it it's you. You're great with the At The Drive-In documentary social pages. Thank you. Yeah, that is me. Um, I haven't been as posty lately. I should start doing more posts again. I try to... A lot of loves, a lot of likes. Yeah, I, I, I try to keep it fun and, and I don't know, like I, a part of me is like, I don't want to just post your posts, you know, but sometimes like when the, the you know, when Gene passed away. Yeah, well, that's a direct connect. Yeah. Yeah. I felt like we had to. And what a gift, by the way, we spoke to Gene's family and, you know, that wasn't lost on them. The idea that a light was shined on him later in life because of the documentary. It's pretty. Oh, good. I, I never met his family. I'm, I'm thrilled to hear that. I was always wondering if he had children or nephews or. They were whatever. incredibly touched by our, our post and uh, having this whole kind of subculture showing love for for somebody that they love so much it's such a strange thing you know what i mean like yeah i'll probably for a lot of them are like wow <laughs> <laughs> i had no idea you know and he's getting showered with love it's it's a great thing and that's what i love about you know documentaries just in general it's a great capture of people at a certain time and for for that to kind of live on forever means gene and and his contribution to the mahoning will live on forever so it's a beautiful thing well, uh, Al, we could talk to you forever, bro. I mean, literally. <laughs> yeah, I, I wish you guys were recording our, our sort of pre-talk. Pre yeah. I felt like we just jumped into it like like it was 2016 again. That's the gold. That's the gold. Well, maybe we'll have to. We'll have to. Uh, we've been talking about segments, things like that for the podcast. So any way that we can get creative together is always, uh, it's always a, a beautiful thing. Do you want to promote or mention the Lancaster Documentaries YouTube channel? Because I love it. Well, it's on my YouTube channel. It's a playlist on my YouTube channel. YouTube.com slash Al Manelli, A-L-M-O-N-E-L-L-I. Um, yeah, subscribe to me on, on YouTube. I definitely, you know, I would love to make more YouTube videos. I'm not a fan of like vlogging, mostly because I feel like every vlogger is like fake happy, fake positive, <laughs> fake over the top. They gotta be. They're getting their free shit. It's like, hey, man. I don't know what it is, but every every vlogger who has, uh, you know, they create their own thumbnail for YouTube. It's like they're getting a rectal exam or something like that. It's like oh my bug God. eyes and mouth wide open. And it's just like, why are you, why do you look like that? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I, and 
you know, I, I, I like your channel, Mark, your, oh. your reviews. <laughs> Thank you. I don't know. I, I always feel bad reviewing movies. Like, because I, I feel like at any point someone could be like, well, fuck you. You made some stupid documentary. <laughs> like, so I, I always feel bad, like making that. Well, not necessarily best of lists, but I, I, I just feel bad being like this movie sucked. Like, I just didn't like it. And yeah. we talked about that on the podcast. It's hard to talk about things that you hate when we're so. Yeah. So steeped in celebration and love of cinema, you know, especially when you know how much goes into making a movie and how like you're just oh, probably damn. getting like, you know, stress and ulcers just from, you know, things and to have someone in like two seconds be like, yeah, he's kind of stupid. Like, <laughs> I don't know. I just know. I, I just always felt bad doing that. I'm highly aware of that. I, I try not to be rude or cruel and really just put it at this is my reaction to a thing. Yours may right. be different. And and moreover, if it's a if it's a physical media release, it's more about here's what you're what you're getting for your twenty dollars or whatever. But Mark, I consider you more of a of a film historian slash expert, you know? Okay. Like I, I, I don't want Roger Ebert to feel inhibited in his reviews the same way I don't want you to. I just feel like as someone who made a documentary made two documentaries and, and makes shorts i don't want to sound like i'm putting myself above you know like who am i to say well the martin scorsese movie wasn't good you know like i, I you know i'm not a film historian i'm not a film expert ebert so. never did it if somebody said that well why don't, why don't you make a movie he could be like i could point you to beyond the valley of the dolls super yeah. <laughs> and beneath the valley of the elch addictions good day sir <laughs> he kept that kind of on the down low. It got in, did a good job, and got out. Yeah. <laughs> Went out on top. Well, it's been a pleasure chatting with you. Maybe we'll, we'll, what we'll have to do is have you back on for an off-the-wall segment where we just talk about things that we love, you know? Yeah. Mo recommending movies that we love. I have to come out to the Mahoning this yeah, year. Yeah, we, mi we miss you. I, we, we didn't get I you at all last year, right? Or, was or the, the year before. I haven't been there since Turtles crazy. Weekend of 2019. Wow. That was awesome, though. You brought your, uh, what, your nephews with you or something? Yeah, my nephews and Amanda came. And, I mean, he was obsessed with Ninja Turtles at the time. Now he went through puberty and he's all about sports. Does he still have those figures? Because I'll buy them off him. <laughs> I was so blown away by that. He has every NECA figure it was of the turtles that they released still even like he has them like the big ones the small ones it's crazy he was a huge insane collector of them love it yeah well yeah we'll have to have you back for sure um but yes anybody out there if you love at the drive-in if you love what the mahoning is then you love al Manelli and you should support him as much as you can um and get out there and uh snag up your copy of marionette land we, we have our pre-order and i can't wait to get my physical copy you know how we roll and uh al next time i see you you're signing that shit for me that's how it goes i, I would love to <laughs> Yeah, it's, it's harder. You, you can watch it and have it saved, you know, into your favorites on Amazon Prime. But do you want Al signing your laptop screen or your, your home TV screen? Probably not. <laughs> I happily will. If you want me to sign your laptop, I, I certainly will. You can't, but I would much rather, you can't sign a stream. I would much rather sign a disc. I love it. And we love you, Al. Um, love you guys. Thank uh, you. Uh, stay well. Give our love to the family in a big way. Will do. All right, my man. Thanks, guys. And Jeff, on that note, take it away, my friend. Ladies and gentlemen, thanks again for coming out tonight to the Mahoning Drive-In Theater. We hope you'll come back and see us again real soon. The exit is on the right-hand side of the screen at the front of the field. And most importantly, have a very safe trip home. Good night and God bless you. <laughs>